This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm delighted to have any and all of you here. During this last week of June 2021 and the first full week of July, the team at SelfWork is taking a bit of a vacation. My engineer has a move he's got to make, and I'm getting ready to teach my first course on perfectly hidden depression to therapists. I'm really excited. In fact, if you'd like to sign up for this power-packed CEU conference, and that's capital C-E, capital Y, then O-U, C-E-U, with an exclamation mark, conference, and get 15% off the whole thing. You could use the link that I provided in the show notes and the coupon code PRESENTERREF. That's capital P-R-E-S-E-N-T-E-R, capital R-E-F. And you can use that at least up until the day of the conference, which is July the 6th. I'll be providing research and information on perfectly hidden depression, mostly geared toward therapists. But I'm going to include things that are in the book and things I've learned since writing it. And there's some other really wonderful presenters. So if you need your CE hours, I'd love to have you. So many of you write to me telling me the thing you like best about self-work is that in almost every episode, I focus on what you can do about it. So I chose six specific episodes that really talk about just that. Steps, tips, techniques, common mistakes, and what has worked for either me or my patients through the years. So in this episode, sponsored by Athletic Greens, I'm going to focus on motivation and how using a specific technique called the as-if technique can help you build a greater sense of confidence so that you build motivation by experiencing your own life differently. And that becomes motivational in and of itself. But first, here's a message from me and Athletic Greens. And as I told a patient of mine the other day who questioned, do you really use that green stuff you talk about? Yeah, I really do. Athletic Greens came on board SelfWork now a few months ago with an offer for SelfWork listeners to try their product. And because of being a SelfWork listener, you'd receive bonus products as a gift with a subscription. I don't really know how many of you have tried it, but quite a few I can tell. And I'd love to hear from you about how you're feeling. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com because I'd love to share your experience here on SelfWork. So some of you are saying, what is Athletic Greens? It's a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood power is your nutritional essential. It's by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today and empower yourself toward better habits. And it's a lot more pleasant than eating celery, I promise you. I've never liked powdered things, but this one isn't too sweet, but also not too grainy. And I look forward to it in the morning. You're actually just getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis. And you don't have to take multiple supplements, just one thing. I take a scoop a day and know that I'm getting 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, and more. In fact, I just had my annual OBGYN appointment and his last words to me were, make sure you're getting enough D3 and the supplement you receive as the self-work bonus with the subscription contains both D3 and K2. So I smiled and said, I got that. I hope you'll try it. 
Both my husband and I love it and have kept it up now for several months because it's making a difference. So here's the link, athleticgreens.com slash self-work. That's, of course, HTTPS colon slash slash athleticgreens.com slash self-work. And I'll have that link for you in the show notes. So thanks to Athletic Greens, they're really great. And let's get down to talking about the as-if technique. Certainly depression can cause you to lose your vitality, to lose any sense of excitement or pleasure about doing what used to be things you love to do. That's called anhedonia. Think about the word hedonism, H-E-D-O-N-I-S-M, is getting lost in pleasure. Anhedonia, or A-N-H-E-D-O-N-I-A, is the opposite of that. And it's tough, really tough, to make yourself do anything when you're anhedonic. It's as if you have a mental or emotional form of mononucleosis. I remember when I had that in high school, I'd ask my mom that I'd like to do a puzzle or read a certain book, and she'd do all the work to get it out, and then I'd be too tired to try or read or whatever. I was like a wet dish rag, but that was a physical problem, and yet anhedonia is very much like a mental or emotional form of mono. So depression can obviously create this state of being. In fact, when you know someone is getting better from depression is when they're up and out again, at least trying to pick things back up that they were interested in before, maybe not with the highest of enthusiasm, but they are trying. Or maybe you try a brand new interest if part of your depression has been about the actual loss of what you love to do. Maybe you've retired and become depressed, or maybe it's part of an empty nest situation. Maybe a beloved parent died or a really good friend. The treatment for classic depression is re-engagement with your world outside of yourself, whether that's talking more, doing more, isolating less, looking for the positive, affirming and caring about others, having things you're looking forward to. All of those are signs that depression's grip is lessening. In fact, some of the motivation for those changes that I just named can be the very depth of the depression that you entered when you don't even want to take a shower or brush your teeth. When you're just completely flat or you experience thoughts of a welcome death or you don't feel anything at all, you're just completely apathetic. When you think about it, there could be inherent motivation in feeling those things and deciding I cannot remain feeling this way. In AA, they call this reaching your bottom and everybody's bottom is different. But certainly I've had people who've looked at me who've been extremely depressed and say, I cannot go on feeling this way. I have got to find a way to feel better. But even with these folks, I sometimes have to remind them of the tendency when you have a struggle with motivation to put the cart before the horse. What does that mean? Basically, people wait to be motivated. I'll hear something like, I just can't find my motivation, as if motivation was a jacket hanging in your closet somewhere. It's not. I understand and respect that fatigue, feeling overwhelmed, foggy thinking, and trouble setting goals is part of depression, and you can ask yourself, why even try? Please don't hear that I'm discounting how difficult that fog can be to lift. But some people, whether they're experiencing depression or or they're just struggling to take action, but they're not depressed, 
are waiting to find motivation as if it were a piece of clothing that they've lost. As now I think I've pointed out several times, lack of motivation can be a symptom of depression, but it also can be just a bad habit that many get into. And it can morph into passivity, never taking action, and waiting for life to give you what you think it should. We talked last time about a victim mentality. This obviously has something to do with that. Not exactly the same thing. Maybe you've heard yourself say, or someone you care about, if I could just find my want to, or my get up and go, or if I could just recapture my youth, I need that kind of energy to change. You're telling yourself that something needs to happen before you take action. You need to feel differently before you act. Well, my idea today is that's actually putting the cart before the horse, plain and simple. Often people with depression or people who are passive have to decide it doesn't matter whether I want to do it or not. I'm going to do it. But there's a technique that can help. It may seem a bit weird, but I've seen it work. It's actually called the as-if technique. As I said in the introduction, that particular phrase, as-if, also is a descriptor for a certain kind of personality that actually is problematic and, in fact, is tied in with perfectionism or a perfect-looking life. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm using the term quite differently. So let's talk about this as-if technique. What is it? Let's say your goal, the thing you are searching for motivation to do, is to exercise. That's a very common goal that many people struggle with. So here's the first step of the as-if technique. You write down or describe the things that people who exercise regularly actually do. Things that they make important to them. Things you see them doing or hear about them doing. Maybe they get up earlier in the morning or go to bed earlier. They arrange for their kids to carpool two days a week to school so they've got time to run to the gym. They look into exercise apps. They get a blood pressure monitor to measure their blood pressure. They drink more water. They buy an exercise magazine. They find out about their company's exercise program. They go to a gym and work with a trainer at least once so the machines aren't very scary. In fact, the gym I go to, the owner is a friend of mine, and he says, everybody turns into a seventh grader when they walk in the doors of a gym. You're all legs and arms and completely insecure, and you see these machines, and you just want to walk out. You think everybody's looking at you when actually everybody's thinking about themselves. (laughs) But back to things people who exercise do. They'll try different classes until they find one that fits their schedule and pocketbook. They start parking their car in the farthest parking place from the entrance rather than the one closest. They ask someone to exercise with them or they get an exercise buddy. They go to Target and get an exercise outfit. They read about different kinds of exercise. Surely (laughs) you get the drift now. You see what I mean. You write down as many things as you can possibly think of Maybe get a friend to help you of what people who seem to have the motivation are actually doing. Here's step two. Then you rank those behaviors in order from the simplest to do to the hardest to do for you. You're basically forming a stepladder for your own change before you've actually done anything. In some ways, this is a visualization technique as well. You can see yourself doing the simplest thing, and then maybe the next thing, and maybe the next thing, and you begin to set yourself up for success. 
So basically, here comes the as-if part of the concept. You begin to act as if you're motivated to exercise. Now, this may sound a little silly. You could say to yourself, but that's the problem. I can't get motivated to exercise. But here the point is, if you've identified what those things are that good exercisers do, and if you make yourself do the simplest one of them for you, you've taken that first step on that stepladder. Your chances of getting to the gym are exponentially higher. You act as if exercise is a regular part of your regimen. Let's say the simplest thing you could do would be to go to Target and get an exercise outfit. You haven't darkened the door of a gym, but you've begun to invest just a little cash in this idea or concept or goal of becoming an exerciser. Now, obviously, the third step does involve taking action, but you've broken the goal down for yourself. You pick the simplest thing and you do it. I don't care if that's breathing and stretching for three minutes when you get out of bed instead of heading straight for the coffee pot. Remember, when you're trying to motivate yourself, no change is ever too small. Let me say that again. No change is ever too small. I can't tell you how many people sit in front of me and say, well, I thought about doing what you said, but I couldn't really make myself, so I did this. I know it wasn't a big deal. I go, wait, it is a big deal. You know, my simplest step might not be yours, and you figured out what your simplest step was. No change in the direction you want to go is ever too small. So this might lead you quite naturally to what the fourth step is. You congratulate yourself for taking the first step. You don't discount it or convince yourself that it wasn't a big deal. Yes, it was. Think about how when you were a parent or you are a parent now, you try to reinforce your children to make changes that you see in them. You catch them being good, right? Well, you're catching yourself being good, being motivated. None of us like doing what we're not very good at doing. We're certainly not going to wake up in the morning and go, oh, wow, I'm not good at doing this, so I'm going to fill my day with it. That's why you have to start with the simplest or the easiest thing for you to do. Just think about it. What are some of the most motivational movies you've ever seen? When I wrote this question, I thought, well, Rudy, it's a really old movie for those of you who have never heard of it, but I guess it reflects how old I am, but anyway... Rudy was a walk-on. He was a, not a big guy, but he really wanted to become a football player. And he earned his team's respect because he always showed up, whether he was played or not. And he was a team kind of guy. But think about others. Really, any movie with a hero or heroine trying to make what might have seemed impossible, possible. And they did it. And it usually started out with some single step. Again, I don't know why I'm thinking about athletics today, but the Rocky movies are a perfect example of this, and I'm sure there are others. In fact, it turns out that one simple step isn't that simple, but it's the beginning of your journey. Obviously, the next step is to go back and do one through four again. You pick your next easiest one and your next one. And pretty soon, the as if turns into the real thing. It turns into I am. I'm not acting anymore as if I'm an exerciser. I am an exerciser. But let's take something less tangible than exercise. Let's say your goal, what you're trying to motivate yourself to do, is to discover what you do well or build a sense of self-confidence. The same problem can arise. 
You can say things like, well, I can't think of anything I do well, but I sure want to find my self-confidence. And guess what? You're stuck, real stuck. You're waiting for that self-confidence to magically appear. You'll say to yourself, once I'm more confident, then I'll feel like risking more. You wait for the thing you want to happen without realizing that you have the ability to begin acting as if you have self-confidence or you recognize what you do very well. Okay, so what in the world do I mean? Isn't this just craziness to think that the as-if technique would work? Well, I obviously don't think so. Let's use the same model we used before, but with this far less tangible goal. Again, ask yourself questions about the self-confident appearing people you know. Think of the tangible signs of how that person seems confident. What do they look like? What do they walk like? What do they wear? What do they do when they walk in the room? How do they shake hands? What do they read? What do they do at night? What do they do in the morning? If you don't know, ask the people who you think are confident in themselves to tell you. Now, you may find out they have a little more insecurity than you're projecting onto them, but maybe not. You could ask them, how do you create a sense of confidence in yourself? I've often laughed about myself that I'm someone who tends to dive into the deep end before I even know I can swim. That may look like self-confidence is probably more ignorance or stupidity than it is self-confidence. But frankly, it probably looks like self-confidence to everyone else. But it's that decision that I made. For example, in starting this podcast, I took a course That was the simplest thing I could do because I knew nothing about it. I bought equipment. I set all of it up. I took my anxiety medication before the first one. I had it all written out, so it was not spontaneous at all, which I've done more and more. So I built in this idea that I could do it. I didn't wait for motivation. I found out the steps, put them in order that made sense for me, and started podcasting. The people you ask will probably tell you about self-affirmations they make, about how they let themselves see their mistakes but realize they're human and that everybody makes mistakes. They might tell you they're good time managers. They'll tell you they work hard on self-acceptance rather than waiting to feel good about themselves when they make more money or way less. They find things to like in the now. Now, all of this could sound out of your reach, but again, if you list them from simpler to harder then you can begin to tackle them yourself. How many of you, for example, put positive affirmations on whatever social media outlet that you particularly like? I see them all the time on Instagram, sometimes on Facebook, certainly on Pinterest. For you younger listeners, what kind of positive affirmation do you put on Snapchat? So just think about it. I remember a patient I was working with on the as-if technique, and we were talking about how confident people walk. And he looked at me and he said, I'm going to walk out of here as if I'm confident. And I watched him walk down the sidewalk. And it was amazing just what simply having better posture did for him. So you can work on your handshake. You can work on your posture and how you carry your body through the day. You can make a new email signature for yourself that's a little bolder. You can hop onto Instagram and follow people you admire and learn from the way they talk about their lives. You can build a set of affirmations this way, or Pinterest or Facebook. You can limit or decrease the amount of time you spend on more passive things and build a time management regimen that includes things that gradually challenge you more and more. You can certainly get into therapy if need be. You can head to a thrift store or whatever you can afford and look for clothes that fit you well, no matter your weight, so you'll feel like you look good. 
You can go to the grocery store and act as if you're confident. Talk to people. Ask them how they cook that vegetable that you've never tasted that's in their cart. You act as if you're confident. You'll be amazed at what you can discover in yourself. I'll use myself as another example. When I first began writing, the Good Men Project offered trainings on how to become a better writer, and I took it. But I was very surprised at what they said was the first thing to do. They didn't talk about getting into publications. They didn't talk about putting on writing seminars or even going to one. They said, focus on everything you write today and make it the best it can be, whether that's an email or a note to a friend. Basically, their advice was to act as if I was becoming a better writer and use the content that was available to me right then. And so I did it. I rewrote email after email, trying to make my communication more clear. I was in the now. Now, is it true that there are some people whose parents had this kind of belief in them and instilled confidence in them? Of course. So they entered the world with some kind of advantage. But even if you didn't get that gift from your own parents, that doesn't mean you can't give it to yourself. I watch people do it all the time, and you can be one of those people. Again, first step, know what your goal is and brainstorm what people do or look like or create in their lives that makes them what you want to be, no matter what it is. Second, rate those behaviors or beliefs or whatever they are, affirmations from simplest to most difficult. For you, not for anybody else. Third, start risking taking those steps up the ladder one by one. And fourth, congratulate the heck out of yourself for doing so. You can find your hope, and your change, as small as it is, will fuel that hope. And the magical thing that does happen is when you begin to be hopeful, that turns into inherent motivation. You get hope from change, and you can do it. Our listener email for today is on the very, very difficult topic of having a child who has a volatile personality disorder like borderline. She says, I've never written to someone online for help, but my longtime friend, who's a therapist, finally explained to me that my adult daughter has borderline personality disorder. My question is, can I ever have a relationship with this daughter? Phone calls are torture because I'm walking on eggshells, and texts are the perfect way to keep me at a distance. Is there any way to change or manage this dynamic? I have no idea if there's a healthy way to be supportive without putting myself in jeopardy. Yet the thought of never seeing her or speaking with her again is too much to think about. I should mention that she herself is a therapist with a private practice and an eating disorder treatment center. Thank you for your time in reading this. So here's my response. First of all, good for you that you're allowing information in that's very hard to accept. Realizing a loved one, but especially a child, has such a tremendous problem can be overwhelming and very sad. And I certainly hear your sadness in this email. Frankly, you're doing about all you can do. You're reading books and becoming informed on how those writers suggest staying out of the emotional battle with your daughter. It's truly about setting very firm boundaries with her, and she won't like it and may even fight you. But finding your own courage is important, maybe going into therapy yourself so that you can better see how you may still be being manipulated. 
Let me also say this. I have tremendous empathy for people who suffer with borderline personality. It's a very harsh, lonely way to live. And many can seem high-functioning, as your daughter does. In some ways, that's even more disconcerting. Many people with borderline personality disorder can function very well when there's a lot of professional structure in what they do. She plays the role of the therapist or the administrator. She's the helper, the guide. But when that relationship is less clear, when she can blame you for whatever she believes are her struggles, all hell can break loose. But she has to stop blaming, maybe get treatment herself, and that can be very difficult. You can say things like, as you set your boundaries, remember, that's not a subject I'm willing to discuss. Again, she won't like it, but that's a way for you to stay out of the emotional vortex that she wants to perhaps unknowingly and unintentionally or perhaps manipulatively wants to pull you into. It's a very painful dynamic, and I'm sad for you and for her. Please look for support from others. This issue is probably one of the major ones that I hear about in my emails. So if you're one of these folks that are trying to love someone with a volatile personality disorder, please know how difficult it can be. Thank you all for being here. I hope you enjoyed this second time around episode talking about the as if technique and motivation. Thank you for all your ratings and reviews, either for my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, which is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or you can get it at your own bookstore, or actually you can order it from New Harbinger for a little bit less money. And thank you for your ratings and reviews for that, especially the written reviews are so important. And as long as they're keeping on coming in, it shows that people are reading the book and enjoying it, learning from it, that kind of thing. So thank you to those of you who are taking the five minutes it takes to do that. It means a lot. And it means a lot if you're leaving reviews or rating self-work wherever you listen. Thank you so very much for that. You can never have enough of those, I've been told. My website's drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can subscribe there as well. And get a weekly newsletter that has my blog post, my podcast, and any news that's going on with me. I also have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash self-work. And that is a closed group. So it's very private, but also very supportive. Thank you so much for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.